You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. So John chapter 10. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, sorry, did I say that? The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognise a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and run away, runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Well, good afternoon, Darabin. Thanks for coming along in this. It's looking a little bit nicer now, but was cold, sort of rainy winter day. Welcome back to everybody who's been away for some holidays. Um, I'm Joel, as Adam mentioned before, I'm one of the deacons here, and I'll be leading us continuing in our passages going through the book of John. So if we could um, pray together. Jesus, you tell us here that you are the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Help us to know this truly today and help us to listen to your voice. Amen. Um, also, as Adam also did mention, there is on the welcome card sort of a little highlight about what today's passage will be and also the passage itself. So if you want to keep that one open. 
So, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I take a look at my life and I realize there's nothing left. I don't know if any of you know this. It's probably the opening line of one of the most well-known rap songs of all time, Gangster's Paradise. It spent 13 weeks in at number one when it was released here in Australia. And it still, released, uh, still remains one of the top 100 most well-known uh, and biggest-selling singles in the world. Um, but we're not here to talk about Gangster's Paradise. We're here to talk about Shepherds. And the first bit of that I took uh, as I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. That comes from Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is full of imagery of a shepherd looking after his sheep. We see the psalmist. He says, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And he also says, you make me lie down in green pastures. He leads me behind, beside still waters. It's very clear imagery of what a shepherd would be doing to his sheep. What else do we know about Psalm 23? Well, we know it's a psalm of David. And David, before he became king of Israel, he actually, he himself was a shepherd. And he was a pretty good shepherd. We know this from 1 Samuel 17. He says to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it down, and I saved it from its mouth. And then when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and kill it, killed it. So he knows a thing or two about being a shepherd. So it's only fitting that he starts off Psalm 23 with these words. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, later on throughout the Bible, we see other shepherds. We see the shepherds who were the first ones to hear about Jesus being born. But what about Jesus? Was he a shepherd? Well, we know Jesus was chained as a carpenter. So why, if you do a Google search, will you see images of Jesus holding a little lamb or holding a crook, a shepherd's crook? Well, because we see the passage here in John 10, 1 to 21 today, Jesus is a shepherd. So let's unpack this imagery today, where Jesus says that he is a good shepherd, how he, ident uh, sorry, how he fulfills his good shepherd identity. He's willing to lay down his life to protect the sheep. Hopefully at the end of today, we too will be like David and we can proclaim the Lord is our shepherd, the Lord Jesus. So let's have a look at this now. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought them out, all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. This first illustration seems a little bit confusing, doesn't it? The Pharisees in verse 6 were confused. The writer of John includes that. The Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Why is that significant that the Pharisees didn't understand what Jesus was saying here? Well, if you look two chapters back, we see that the Pharisees were actually wanting to stone Jesus. And later on in this chapter, again, they'll try and stone Jesus for some of the claims he makes and the teachings that he's teaching the Jewish people. So is that why Jesus is trying to be cryptic? Because he's afraid of the Pharisees and he's trying to make it all kind of hidden so that only a few people will listen to what he's saying? 
Well, actually, no, Jesus wasn't afraid to give up his life. We'll see that later in this passage. So what is the reason that he starts off with a bit of a confusing imagery? Well, I think instead, it's not because the Pharisees wouldn't understand, but because some people would understand. So let's see if we can understand today. The story is set. We have a pen, we have a gate, we have a gatekeeper, we have the shepherd, the sheep, and the thieves. And we might also have a different character, the stranger. Let's pause quickly. When we say the word shepherd's pen, what do we think? What, what, what do you think of as a pen? Do you think of just like a little wooden fence around a few sheep? Well, actually, looking back at it throughout the sort of Middle Eastern history where Jesus would have been teaching, the idea of a shepherd's pen could have been a stone enclosure holding sort of hundreds and hundreds of sheep of many, many different shepherds. What would happen with the shepherds would be out through the day, they'd take their sheep to pasture or water, and then at nighttime, they'd all come back in to one of these big pens. There would be a gatekeeper who'd kind of keep watch overnight while the shepherds went and slept. Um, On top of this stone enclosure, there would be actually thorns growing. And the reason why there'd be thorns growing? Well, because we see it in the passage here. There were thieves who tried to come in in other ways except for the gate. So there's a character, there's the thieves, and then there's the shepherd. They're two contrasting people. The shepherd knows the gatekeeper, and the gatekeeper knows the shepherd. I finish shop night shifts at work, and I see the morning staff come on, and I'm really excited to see them come on. It's the end of my shift. I'm excited. That's what the gatekeeper would be when he sees the shepherd. While when he sees a thief overnight trying to sneak around, he's wary. He's trying to scare them away because they're, trying to, they're no good. They're trying to steal the sheep. But the second difference between the shepherd and the thieves is that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. How do the sheep know the voice of the shepherd? Well, imagine you're a shepherd in the Middle East in the time of Jesus. You're out in the middle of nowhere with your sheep, getting them fed and watered. And you kind of start talking to yourself, because what else is there to do? So you talk to yourself, or you might sing a bit. You might call out to your sheep, hey, don't go so close to the edge. Or maybe you're telling them, don't eat that. I'm sure you've probably said that to your pets as well. Don't eat that. Your pets know your voice. And similarly, the sheep here know the voice of the shepherd. Why is this significant? Well, today in Australia, we have plenty of sheep and sheep stations, but it's not a really kind of close thing. Your sheep are tagged or chipped, so you know that they're yours. But back when Jesus is talking to the people here, the shepherd, they know the voice. We see that. The shepherd would call them and they would follow him outside the pen. So even if somebody was to get into the sheep, whether it be a thief or just a stranger, the sheep will not follow because they do not know his voice. Well, going back, is this illustration something that the Pharisees are going to stone Jesus about? It doesn't seem so. It seems pretty harmless. What, what's the message so far? It's hard to tell because we don't have any of these characters identified yet. So what is the message? Well, there's a couple of messages Last week when Sam was preaching, he mentioned hostility towards us in this world. And as Christians, we can and should be aware of the thief who tries to come and steal and snatch things away. We are sort of scared of a hostile takeover. 
But also, we need to be more scared of the subtle things as well, where people are just trying to call us away. It's a stranger trying to call us in the wrong direction. It's not just the hostile takeover. Ironic, isn't it? I'm a strange voice up here speaking to you. Does that, is that what I'm talking about, being a strange voice? I'm not Adam or Aaron. Uh, no, it's not about being a strange voice here. It's a reminder to listen to the true shepherd. What you hear through a sermon, what you hear in your gospel communities, or maybe even you're just having a conversation with somebody after church or one of your other friends, and you come away from it, you're thinking, something just doesn't sit right with what was just said. Maybe it's a stranger's voice and you're not actually listening to the good shepherd. Well, how can we look out for this? Maybe we need to be more like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, who Paul commended when what they heard from Paul, they examined in the scriptures. So maybe we need to spend some more time there. Or maybe it's an encouragement for us to be spending some time talking to our shepherd through prayer and listening back to his voice. Or maybe we need to be just meditating on his word and hearing his voice through there. Well, from this point onwards, we start seeing the characters in the story become a little bit more clarified who they are. We're dropping the cryptic ruse. Jesus is making things clear. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I don't know. I think if we sort of just kind of tried to allocate characters a little bit ago, we would have said Jesus is the shepherd. But now he's saying that he's the gate. Are we sure we've got the same story? Are these two things related or is it a different illustration completely? Well, let's look at the end of verse 6 and the start of verse 7. The Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again. So we have some linking words. We have therefore and again. This isn't a whole new idea. No, in fact, Jesus is trying to clarify it for us. And then he's going to build on it for us. Um, going back to the sheep pens in the previous example, there are the big stone sheep pens carrying hundreds and hundreds of sheep, but there'd also be smaller sheep pens where the shepherd themselves would lay down and become the gate. So Jesus is going to start talking about him being the gate. So we've clarified who Jesus is. He is the shepherd who becomes the gate. And he also clarifies some other characters from the first passage. Look at verse 8. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Well, the Pharisees up to this point, maybe they've been happy to listen to Jesus giving his illustration. After all, he didn't say anything bad about them. Maybe they thought in the passage, the first illustration, maybe they thought they were the shepherd. Or maybe they're just the sheep and they've got the shepherd in Abraham or Moses or David. Possibly. But no, now Jesus says, the ones who have come before me, they are like the thieves and the sheep should not listen to them. They're going to be mad about that. So... There were the, they were the thieves. And now let's look at verse 9, where Jesus reiterates, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. 
So when the gatekeeper, uh, sorry, when the shepherd would lie down and be the gate, he would know of any thieves coming towards him. He would know of any wolves or bears that were trying to come and steal away the sheep. But he also knows maybe one of the sheep's hungry and wants to go out for a midnight snack. He knows who's coming in and going out. Look at verse 9. Whoever enters through me will be saved. We're talking about salvation here. Jesus, as the gate, provides salvation. And we've got an idea, though, of coming in and going out. What does that mean? Does it mean to come in and out of salvation? Well, I don't think so. There isn't no leaving God's salvation. No, this is a good reminder of the assurance that Jesus has that he has saved you and he will lead you into good pastures. Okay, now this brings us to verse 10. And I don't, it might seem a little bit kind of out of left field. What does it look like? Uh, Sorry, what does it mean? How does it lead to verse 10? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This verse seems kind of out of place here. I've seen many, many people mention this verse. It's quite a um, significant verse for a lot of people. Even in this last week, I heard somebody saying that this verse is what told them to get out of uh, finance, sorry, to take back their financial security from the devil who tried to steal it away from them. It's a little bit confusing when people just take these one verses out of context. So let's try and look at it in context. What does it mean in the context of John here to, uh, to give life and life to the full? Well, there are a few things about what it looks like to give life and have life to the full. One, we'll see a little bit later in verse 14, but Jesus is a good shepherd who knows us. We'll get to that a little bit later. But another thing is that he's the shepherd who leads us. Look at verse 3 and 4. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep know him. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. We've already talked about the sheep knowing his voice, but what I didn't talk about back then was how he leads ahead of them. I don't know if any of you have seen this image. It might be on Facebook or wherever, but there's two different types. There's the boss and there's the leader. The boss sort of sits at the top of the pyramid and he's yelling out all the slaves, do this, do that. He's cracking a whip. While the leader, the leader's going ahead, he's forging a path and he's calling people to follow behind. Well, here Jesus is being a leader. He came down to the earth. He knows what it's like to live as a human. And so he's leading the way for us. Some people might think that our faith is all about kind of not doing the wrong thing or be whipped into the shape. We need to be fear of the consequences. No, but actually living life to the full is about living and following a, a Jesus who came down to live um, a human life and we can follow him. And another aspect of living life to the full is living. It seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? But it's in contrast with the thief who comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. And we get to that in the next little bit. Let's look at verses 11 to 13. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My autocorrect when I was typing up this sermon, it suggested that I turn that verse into, I am a good shepherd. But that's not the claim that Jesus makes. 
He doesn't say, I am a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And what makes a shepherd the good shepherd? The good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. The thing is, though, Jesus hasn't yet died on the cross. And each time he does talk about it, the disciples seem to rebuke him. But it's not an empty saying, saying that he will die for his sheep. It's not a cartoonish, I love you so much, I love you to the moon and back. No, this is a foretelling of how Jesus will die, die on the cross in an ultimate sacrificial love for his sheep. And it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? A shepherd can't teach his sheep martial arts. He can't tell them to kind of defeat the enemy on their own. If a wolf comes, they can kind of punch. No, the shepherd needs to be there for him. Even if the sheep have spent time listening to the shepherd's voice, learning from what the shepherd has, and trusting that the shepherd's not going to lead them to the wrong place, they're still helpless. And that's the same with Jesus. He came down. He spent 33 years before, uh, 33 years on earth with people, teaching them. Um, they're listening to his voice. But he still needed to die for them. He knows that we're helpless, helpless to save ourselves from our sins. He knew he needed to die for us on the cross. There were others, though, others who wouldn't die for their sheep. Next, we come across the character of the hired hand. While Jesus doesn't specifically mention who the hired hand is, he does mention who they are not, and they are not the shepherd. They do not own the sheep. What they do is they see the wolf coming, and they scatter. They run away, and they let the wolf attack the flock. Going back to the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 23, God says that he will place shepherds over his people. They will tend to them. Well, maybe these leaders, the Pharisees, they're trying to be the shepherds to the sheep. Maybe they're doing their best to follow what Jeremiah 23 said. Maybe they're trying to look out for the leader. Sorry, maybe they're trying to look out for the spiritual needs of the flock. But unfortunately, it seems instead that they are the hired hands. And when the wolf came, they abandoned their positions. Didn't we see this recently in the book of Daniel? After all, all of the Jewish people got taken to Babylon, and only Daniel and his friends resisted. This is similar to the Pharisees in this passage and the um, time of Jesus. They were a scared bunch. We see them scared of, Roman, of the Romans in the next chapter. In John 11, they say, If we let him, being Jesus, go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come in and take away both our temple and our nation. The Pharisees are scared of what the Romans are going to do to them. And later, in Matthew 21, 46, they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So the Pharisees here, they're a scared bunch. They're scared of the Romans. They're scared of the crowds. They're meant to be the shepherd looking after these people, but then the crowds, they're sh- what they're scared of. Imagine if you're a shepherd who's scared of your sheep. Even though the Pharisees were certainly wrong about who Jesus was, they seemed convinced that he was up to no good, but yet they were afraid to do anything about it because of the crowds. If they were serious about taking their job as a shepherd seriously, if somebody did come up and make these claims and try and lead the sheep astray, 
They should do something about it. They should be willing to sacrifice their life for their convictions. But they didn't. Maybe they were meant to be the shepherds, or even maybe they were meant to be like the gatekeeper in the first passage. They were keeping an eye on the shepherd, on, sorry, keeping an eye on the sheep until the true shepherd returns. But instead, in verse 13, we see what they're really like. They run away because they are hired hands and care nothing for the sheep. How much of a contrast is that to verse 11, where Jesus said, the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep? Well, there's one other thing that makes a good shepherd, and it's going to kind of pale in comparison to this massive claim that the good shepherd lies down for his life for the sheep. But the thing is that the good shepherd also knows his sheep. We looked earlier at how the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and follow his voice, but the, sheep, the shepherd know the sheep too. It's not just a one-way street. The historian Fred Wright, in his book, Manners and Customs of Bible Lands, once asked a shepherd in Lebanon if he always counted his sheep at nighttime. And the shepherd replied, no, I don't. And then when he was asked, how do you know all of your sheep are there? The reply was, if you were to put a cloth over my eyes and just let me put my hands on the face of any of the sheep, I would let you know if it was mine or not. This is an example of a pretty good shepherd, wouldn't you agree? And yet Jesus is making the claim that he is even better. He is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd who knows his sheep, and they know him. If a shepherd in Lebanon can know his sheep so well, how much more can Jesus know us so deeply and lovingly? Well, to answer that comes from the next part of the chapter. The reason he can know us so lovingly and so intimately is that he knows his father so lovingly and deeply. Have a look at the next verse. Just as a father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Well, surely the Pharisees now are going to pick up those stones again and get to stoning Jesus. Here, Jesus is claiming almost a sense of intimacy and unity with a the father. They can't have that. But Jesus is just claiming it, not to annoy the Pharisees, but to show us how well, how deeply, how lovingly he knows his father, and how well, how deeply, how much he knows us as well, how much he loves us. Well, he's about to say something else that the Pharisees also wouldn't have been particularly happy about. Jesus says that there are others in the flock outside of the Jews. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. If we remember back to earlier through our John series, back in John chapter 4, Jesus spent some time with a Samaritan woman. He talked to her, and through the discussion that he had with her, her and many other Samaritans believed. But then since then, we've had Jesus mostly sort of interacting with the Jewish people and spending time and teaching them. Well, now he's about to say, uh, pick up this idea again, that it's not just about the Jews, it's for everyone as well. Um, so we've seen that the uh, Pharisees were meant to be shepherds to the sheep, but here Jesus rebukes them again. They're only looking after the Jewish sheep. 
The Pharisees were meant to be looking after all of God's people. And this is not a new idea. Back in Genesis, God did promise to bless Abraham and bless all peoples through Abraham, not just the Israelites. And then through Exodus, God says, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all of the earth. Again, it's not just the people of Israel. Well, why is it significant that Jesus talks about having sheep in other flocks? Well, because verse 16 comes after verse 15. Seems a bit self-explanatory, doesn't it? But verse 15 was, he lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus wants to make it clear and no confusion about who his sheep are, about who he's dying for. He lays down his life for all of his sheep. And yet, while we haven't seen many of the sheep through the uh, book of John so far, we have seen Jesus claiming that there's more than just the group that he's speaking to. Uh, In Adam's kids' talk today, we saw in John 3, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's not just the people of Israel. And then later on in John 5, he says to you, whoever hears my word and believes him shall have eternal life. There are plenty of other verses I could turn to in the Bible to tell the same idea, but I've got no need. Even earlier in this passage of John, he said it again. If we look back to the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. So here in verse 16, John, uh, sorry, Jesus is making absolutely clear that it's not just the Jews he's talking about. If we look at Hebrews 7.27, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Jesus wants to make it very clear that his death on the cross was for all. Well, another question to look at is, He's died on the cross. Now what? What good is a good shepherd that's dead? The shepherd then can't fight off any more wolves or bears. He can't tell the sheep where to go to get pasture. He can't scare away any thieves trying to steal them away. What could a shepherd do if they're dead? Let's look at the next verse for the answer. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to pick it up again. Only to take it up again. Is, is That segment there is important. Look at it. The cross wasn't the end. Death isn't the end. Jesus was able to take back up his life. He had the authority to do so. We see that there in John 10. Look at verse 18. No one takes his life. Jesus isn't about to accidentally die to the Pharisees stoning him because he said something too controversial. He's taken it too far. No, this is of his own accord. Jesus lays down his life of his own accord. This wasn't a mistake. It was all part of the plan. You'll see in verse 18. This is a command that I have received from my father can see there that this is a plan that the father and jesus had all together that jesus would die for his sheep and not just die but then take up life again and his father loves that for him look back at the verse before the reason my father loves me is this that i lay down my life 
This isn't some sort of cosmic child abuse. God the Father isn't angry in punishing Jesus. No, he's loving Jesus, and he loves us so much, and he knows that the way to save us is through the cross. That was a plan from the beginning. It's part of the big rescue mission that they had for us from our sins. It looks like Jesus laying down his life as a good shepherd on the cross and then taking it back up in resurrection. Well, that almost wraps up the teaching that Jesus had here in this segment. But something at the end there, even though the illustration at the start was a little bit confusing, the Pharisees might not have understood it, everything else seems to be understood so far. Jesus has been talking and the people have been listening and now they get a chance to respond. And it's controversial. There's no fence sitting. There's no people who are sort of still on the edge. We'll have a look there. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Some people are hearing what Jesus is saying, these incredible claims, and they think it's too far-fetched. He must be rambling in madness. They haven't been listening to the voice of a good shepherd. They've been listening to utter madness. But there are others there who are saying, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. After all, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is a look back at the last chapter that Sam preached on last week. Jesus opening the eyes of a blind man and how he can spiritually open our eyes too. Well, I know the two passages are linked together. We see that in verse 1, the Pharisees were still the ones who were talking to. So we've had Jesus talking about opening eyes and now it seems we're looking at opening up ears, ears to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. So how are we going to react? Some of you today aren't sure you're part of the sheep following this good shepherd. Maybe we don't want to. Maybe we're not sure yet. We're still exploring. And after all, isn't being a sheep a bad thing in today's society? Haven't you heard the phrase, wake up, sheeple? Suggesting that being a sheep is following something mindlessly. I think Aaron likes to quote this uh, Roman philosopher Lucius Seneca in this uh, quote he's about to say. Um, I've got it from Attack on the Titan, which is a bit more of a modern-day twist on it, the anime. The uh, quote is, We're all the same, every one of us. For some it's drinking, for some it's women, for some it's even religion. The king, the children, everyone. Everyone is a slave to something. Maybe we need to kind of reimagine this instead. Maybe everyone is a sheep following someone. So it's not just that you're not a sheep, that you're a sheep to something else. And having had a look at the Good Shepherd today in today's passage, I know who I want to be following. That leads us to others here today who do want to be part of the sheep. Maybe we have had Jesus, as Sam preached on last week, spiritually open our eyes, and now we need to continue to train and spiritually open our ears so that we can listen to the Good Shepherd's voice, learning to hear and follow his voice amongst all the chaos in the world, amongst all the thieves trying to take us away, amongst all of the strangers who are calling out in different directions. 
we need to be listening to the voice of our Good Shepherd. Let's pray now to end. Jesus, thank you for laying down your life on the cross. You truly are the Good Shepherd. We apologize for when we, like sheep, do go astray or listen to the voices of strangers. We thank you that when we enter through you as our gate, we can be saved. Amen. Well, now we're going to continue to sing. We're going to sing this song, The King of Love, which is based on Psalm 23. Let's reflect on the lyrics that are up there. The King of love my shepherd is, whose goodness fails me never.